I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Kanda Mason's Brown Rice Hour, a podcast that quilts together a fabric of connection between land, race, money, culture, and spirit. Discover a connection that engages with the most inspiring and cutting-edge thought leaders today, pointing toward our collective healing and liberation. If you are interested in supporting the Brown Rice Hour, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Kanda. So here we go. And I am back again with another um, wonderful guest. My name is Conda Mason, and I am hosting this um, hour. It's called the Brown Rice Hour. Um, And we have conversations at the intersection of land, race, money, culture, and spirit. And that leaves a, a wide array of conversation to have with my guests. And today I have um, Mr. Micah Daigle, who is um, uh, an amazing being that you all will, you'll, you'll see that right away. And um, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. So, Micah, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Yeah, I feel really, really honored to be asked to join you and your audience. Yeah, yeah this is cool. I hope I have an audience. It's just starting, you know, so I'm, it could be just you and I and nobody ever hear this. So awesome. That too. That, great, great. Right, Even if right? you have an audience of one right, um, there you or, go. or an audience of our future selves listening. That's to right. That. Our future selves. Right. Well, well, my sister will definitely listen. So there will at least be an audience of one. Great. 
okay, <laughs> and our future selves. But yeah, so I'm I'm super excited about having you with me. And um, so you know, I always like to begin by having a little um, land acknowledgement and where we are. And I know that you and I both are in the Bay Area. You're in Berkeley, right? I'm in Berkeley, and I'm in Oakland. And this is the land of the Ohlone people. Mm-hmm. And so we want to give a shout out and honor the original peoples of this land. And I also like to um, create sacred space by bringing in the ancestors and honoring them as well. I have um, deep uh, gratitude for my ancestors who, you know, had a lot of resilience to get me here, mm-hmm. you know, alive and halfway with the brain. And um, I'm really grateful for their resilience and, and their ability to to keep on keeping on. So I just want to give a shout out to the ancestors and your ancestors as well, um, because um, we couldn't do this without them, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I always like to bring, bring them into the room. And so... Um, so I'm going to read uh, your bio that I have, and um, and we'll get started. All right. Sounds great. Yeah. All right. So so Micah is a designer and movement builder. That's um, his. That's the the headline, and he's a designer and movement builder, working to redesign our world so it works for everyone. I love that already. He started his career advocating against the racist war on drugs as the executive director of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. He then shifted from working against the existing system to creating better systems. As a designer, he's worked on tools like, I say Asana or Asana, what do you call it? Asana, yeah. Asana, okay. Um, the, The software program Asana. So as a designer, he's worked on the tools like Asana and Hackpad that help millions of people collaborate. As a campaigner, he helped crowdfund projects like Impact Hub Oakland. And as a strategist, he's helped dozens of founders, founder teams clarifying their purpose, story, and their voice. He's become part of an emerging movement to redesign the foundations of our society, such as the economy or the government. He's currently focused on forming land-based collectives that can experiment with new and ancient ways of living together. So I am so stoked about having this conversation with you. You're hitting so many areas that are close to my heart. And I know that we're going going to get get somewhere with this. But before we go into all of the amazing places I want to go with you, I ask the same question of everybody, first of all. Okay. And I call this the brown rice hour. Um, One is because when I think about one of the most significant um, parts of my life is when I became a microbiotic. I became microbiotic, right? Mm-hmm. And I changed my whole diet from meat-based to, you know, to vegetable-based. And, mm-hmm. and it was an incredible time. This was in the 70s. And, um, and brown rice was it. It was all about brown rice and brown rice had a huge effect on my life. And uh-huh. so I think of it as the, the, that it was the comfort food. It was the transitional food. It was, um, and, um, 
and I still today, you know, have a pot of brown rice on the stove usually. So I'm no longer <laughs> microbiotic, but I am still vegan. And so anyway, food is important and I think it has a role to play in our lives and it tells a story. So my question, my first question to you is, what as a child was your comfort food and who prepared it? Wow, good question. Um, well, it's so it's so funny. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to your question, but I I need to, I need to say yeah, I need to say I didn't realize uh, this until now. But I, you know, earlier today I really needed comfort food. I, I was you know I was having a hard day, and I'm really bad at asking for help. I'm just like learning to be better at asking for help. And I asked for some help from a, a dear friend and housemate, and she cooked me a bowl of brown rice with some roasted cauliflower on it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was exactly what I needed. And I I didn't realize the like amazing synchronicity of that, uh, given that I'm about to be on the brown rice hour, but it seems kind of fitting. Um, So yeah, brown rice was not a comfort food when I was a kid. I would say it was like really bad food when I was a kid. It was like a bologna and cheese real mm. sandwich or something or like uh mm. you know frozen mm. uh elio's pizza was the brand it was this uh just frozen rectangle of a pizza not very good at all you know kind of mm. like yeah like elementary school pizza i would oh, yeah, sit in yeah. the oven and i would put it on like broil and i would burn yeah. the cheese like it would get oh, yeah flat. Yeah, yeah, burn it. I, yeah, yeah, and I loved it. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I was not not a picky eater, and now I totally am. So, I, <laughs> and you were the one who prepared it then too. I, mean, I was the one who like, prepared it. Yeah, who uh-huh. prepared it. Yeah. Wow, that was the thing, huh? It was like <laughs> that was my comfort food. Like this paper and charcoal, this pizza sounds like it was just kind exactly. of exactly. Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of frozen food. There were also frozen pierogies, which were the 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 only attachment I had to any kind of ancestry. You know, like I was What's a I pierogi. Was, so a pierogi is uh, um, Polish uh, kind of dumpling. Essentially, it's like. Mm. A, um, pasta that has like potato and cheese and that kind of thing in it. Oh. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who grew up without really any kind of attachment to any sort of known ancestry. I don't really know anybody mm-hmm. beyond my mm-hmm. grandparents and kind of where I came from. Um, okay. And the one thing I know is I'm like a quarter Polish. So I would eat okay. these, these like uh, these frozen pierogies. Oh, they were frozen too. You just popped them in the microwave or something. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so you I, did it yourself. Nobody else pre- prepared this for you. Sometimes my mom would. Yeah. But I was I, I got pretty self-reliant with the frozen food. Um, now I now I eat a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad to hear that, Micah. Really yeah. glad to hear that you're doing better than that. But this is great. See, these conversations about food and they really actually tell a lot, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It sounds like you were really self-reliant. I mean, I'm now seeing you as a kid that's just like, you know, I know how to do this. I know how to feed myself. I know what I want. And I'm going to just pop it in the whatever you did in the frozen food. That was you (laughs) as a kid. That's that's what I did. Yeah, totally. Now I cook for myself quite a bit as well, but it's, it's not the frozen food I pop in the microwave. Yeah. Right, right, right. Well, I'm happy yeah. that you're, well, I'm really thrilled that your, you know, roommate gave you some brown rice today. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, brown rice goes a long way. So I just wanted to also um, let people know how we met. 
Yeah. And um, we had a very incredible meeting. And I mean, we just took off into this project that was intense, intense. It was intense. Right. Would you say? Um, So I was um, I'd love to hear your version of it. Um, on my side, I was um, starting a new company called Impact Hub Oakland, a co-working community in Oakland. And um, we were just getting started and we needed to raise some money and we wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign. And And this man named Micah Dago, who was a friend of one of my business partners, came into our world and said, I can help you with the Kickstarter campaign. And um, that's how we took off together on that intense Kickstarter campaign. Let me hear your version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually curious. Uh, I don't know if you know why I got into crowdfunding. Um, I but don't. It might be a good place to start. Yeah, let's yeah. start with that. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you know, I was I was kind of an activist before I moved to the Bay Area. I was living in Washington D.C. and running an organization that was uh, working to, yeah, stop throwing people in prison for, you know, nonviolent drug crimes. And, right, for a um, Yeah, so I was working on that, and then I moved out to the Bay Area and um, was still working in that movement, but just got really burnt out on working on pol- in politics, right? mm-hmm. um, as a lot of people do, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just so hard to meaningfully change things, and oftentimes it's like one step forward, two steps back, and... Yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I sort of left that movement and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I, uh, I had a conversation with a friend where he introduced this concept to me called liquid democracy. Is that mm. something we've mm-hmm. talked about? Or mm-hmm. We did a long time ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a concept that was new to me, but the, the idea was uh, we were just talking about everything that's kind of broken with our political system. And um, he introduced this concept where instead of like right now, we, we essentially every four years go to the ballot box and we vote on somebody and somebody wins to basically represent us on every issue. Right. And they go to Washington, right. D.C. And then the people that they're surrounded by are not their constituents. They're, you know, the lobbyists and the right. other people in their party and, and all of that. That's right. And um, my friend introduced this idea of what if we kind of represented each other within a system where if, you know, you know a lot about, he was like, Micah, you know a lot about drug policy and criminal justice and prison reform. What if you represented me on these, those issues? And I know mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, environmentalism and the, you know, mm-hmm. all these other issues. What if I represent mm-hmm. you on that? And then we mm-hmm. had a system where we could kind of represent each other um, instead of, you know, somebody who we don't even know representing us. So I, I got really interested in this idea of um, what could a new governance system look like? You know, the, the one that we're using now is centuries old. And yeah. so that started this kind of career path for me of learning design and technology. And uh, I was prior to meeting you trying to start a company to basically create uh, the technology that would allow, would allow for us to experiment with this. And um so I was trying to start that company and I realized I don't want to raise venture capital and <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, and then five years later, you know, we've created the thing and it's successful, but we're right. spamming people with ads or we're doing things that are just not in alignment with the, the vision. Right? Right. I want, I wanted this thing to be a gift to the world right. and not this, you know, thing. That's or you're booted out and some, and some venture capitalist owns it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And 
so I was really hesitant to start a company uh, for that reason. And then I realized, you know, crowdfunding was really just becoming a big thing around that time. Like just, yeah, you know, it was. Yeah. Um, and so I just started learning everything that I could about crowdfunding um, because it felt like there was there was a deeper issue here that if I, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. was facing this problem of, you know, mm-hmm. not being able to um, bring the things into the world that I want because of the funding mechanisms, then mm-hmm. a lot of other people are as well. And maybe that's a place to focus. So that's when we met as I was ah. you know, trying to essentially create like a, a crowdfunding accelerator program right. where right. we um, we work with entrepreneurs like you to yeah. you know get your projects off the ground. And of course, I know Impact Hub Oakland uh, needed a lot more funding than we raised through the Kickstarter. So you yeah, had a variety of financing mechanisms, yeah. right? Yeah, we did. Um, but that project. was, uh, yeah, that was when you met me. And I was I was also learning a lot about my own uh, limitations and, um, uh, yeah, just, uh, it, it was a very intense campaign for sure. We made it. <laughs> we did it. We raised we did it. Yeah. We raised, we raised more money and for sure any, you know, so-called co-working space had ever done and um, more than we imagined way we went way over what we what we thought we were going to raise and it was extremely successful but it was extremely stressful totally. and I said I will never do that again that was the hardest thing <laughs> in my life <laughs> yeah yep. and I, I think I learned a lot through that experience too you know just I, I think I came into it with a lot of confidence like I know exactly how this is gonna you know and I, I think I've gotten a lot more humble when working with clients now and also yeah. like um uh, setting expectations a little lower, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Learned a lot through that experience. So. I think everybody learned a lot in that, you know, but as I said, we did it and it was super successful. God, I remember that day that it closed, the campaign closed. Yeah. We, we were trying right. to raise a hundred thousand dollars and we raised like 142 or 143, something like that. Yeah. 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 And it was, I and think that, it was like, remember it hit a hundred maybe the day or two before and then everything right. after that was extra. And it was, yeah. Really, and even that last day that 10,000 came in as we were just before we right. closed down the campaign, right. it was like from yeah. Mexico. It was great. It was great. And it was, it was intense, but that's when I, what you did, Micah, um, with me is you, um, you're a storyteller and you got me to tell the real story, mm. like what's underneath the underneath the underneath. Mm. And because we went to that real story, I think that it went to the heart of people because people love stories and they relate to stories and you took it out of the realm of, you know, a co-working space. And that's not what it was. It was a way deeper story than that. And you brought that out and in us and all of us. And I've just ever been so grateful for that because I learned that from you. Mm. Um, Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I learned that from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for that reflection. I, um, yeah, I feel like this, this, uh, story that we developed together for Impact Hub Oakland of what makes you come alive, right? That was the, that was the core alive. of the story. That's right. That's right. Um, it's so alive for me still as a story, right? Um, yeah. Like when I think about my mission on this planet, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's a convergent mission of everybody I want to collaborate with, with right now has the same mission. It's how can mm. we create the context where mm. people don't feel coerced to work 
mm-hmm. on, on stuff mm-hmm. they don't care about? And how can we right. create the context where people are f- completely liberated to do exactly what right. they would do if they didn't have to worry about how they're going to pay rent or right. pay for food, right. you know? And um, that to me, like I, I think increasingly I've gotten humble about knowing I don't know all the solutions. Like, you know, we were talking earlier about this liquid democracy thing. I don't know if that's the solution to better governance. And there's lots of people trying different solutions. But what I do know is if we have more people liberated to try new things and to take risks and to give the gifts that are just naturally pouring out of their heart, um, we're going to figure it out, right? It's it's right now we're just in such a bad spot because so many people – are working jobs they hate that they don't care about, right? And so many mm-hmm. of the companies that are destroying the planet rely on the labor of people who are who wouldn't be working there if they, you know, didn't need to make ends meet, right? And, exactly. They would have nobody there in those big old empty buildings. They'd be empty buildings. Everyone would walk out. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody would walk out. You know. Right. They couldn't continue to pollute the earth and the and toxic, you know, cultures. Exactly. Right. People can't walk out. Right, right. Yeah, it's it, there's there's a form of coercion there, and so everything I'm you know putting my efforts into now is, uh, it's like that we were talking before about how I was digging deeper and deeper into oh well you know it's hard to change policies so let's change the governance system oh hard to do that so let's change the way that startups are financed, and there seems to be this convergence where a lot of people are digging deeper and deeper into higher mm-hmm. and higher leverage mm-hmm. points like what what's the mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the thing that's going to solve. Um, all of this, and it keeps coming down to land. It's yeah. land and yeah. food justice and yeah. Um, yeah. ownership, um, yeah. really. Yeah. And if we can solve that, if we can yeah. really have people uh, collectively stewarding the land that they are on and uh, living in communities where we're taking care of each other's needs instead of outsourcing them to this yep. global market and Amazon and stuff, then I think we can start to really have yeah. an impact. Yeah, it's interesting because, um, as you know, you know, these are conversations at the intersection of land, race, money, spirit and culture. And it's about land. Mm -hmm. It starts with land. Mm -hmm. And um, and and I don't know if you know, but here's what the rub is for for me and the project that I'm working on, my own little project is around black people and the land loss. You know, the land loss is so systematic and so um, egregiously intentional by the U.S. government and private and banks and all the people who who collude, honestly, to take land. I mean, the statistics of let's talk and I'm talking rural land, right? Rural land, whereas where most black people are still in the south, when the 50 percent of black folks are still in the south and. The land that was always that, you know, the 40 acres of the mule that never happened. Um, but people managed to get land after the emancipation, right? And in the 1920s, we had about a collectively, they say 18 to 20, I hear different ones, million acres of land was in the hands of a black folk. Now it's down to 2 million. Yeah. And losing 30,000 acres a year. Wow. Through the collusion of what the U.S. government, USDA, the banks, and how what they're doing, and the story goes on and on. It's a very intentional, horrible story. And so, you know, I'm finding myself now, like, okay, 
that's that's the acupuncture point for me is to step into that place and to see how can I be effective in any way around black land loss, mm-hmm. you know, and um, because, as you know, you know, with land, that's that's I mean, that's how that's how wealth is 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 figured out in this country. And and then and then there's that, that there's always that tension also around ownership, stewardship, like I don't even want to own it. And yet if I don't own it, some white people are going to own it. And so I need to own it (laughs) because they took it. And then really, then the indigenous people were here way before all of us and who and who never owned anything and just stewarded it. And how do we get to this place of stewardship versus ownership and at the same time um, make an impact so that the land is doing what it's came here to do you know absolutely yeah yeah that there's this is so much of the research i'm i'm working on right now is what are the mechanisms that allow us to um internally within a community steward but then externally because the external environment is all about ownership how do we own it how do we fence it off and protect it from uh exploitation extraction and Mm -hmm. uh right and so uh, you know, I, there's um, this really great organization, uh, EB Prep, right? East Bay uh, Permanent oh, yeah. Real Estate Cooperative. So uh, cool. They're doing amazing work in this <laughs> where they're, they're literally, they're just taking properties off the mm-hmm. speculative market and putting them That's into right. the hands of people, right? Um, yeah. Yep. And so this is, it's so essential to be able to uh, work within the system to whatever degree mm-hmm. you need to, to be able to uh, get this land away from the speculative, yeah. you know, the yeah. speculative the market. Crazy uh, market. Right. It's got to get off uh, the market. Land does. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. EV Prec is just amazing. And um, I'll try to get that um, website to people afterwards and, and yeah. get people involved and in, in knowing what the work that they're doing in, in the East Bay is amazing. And, yeah. you know, you just said something that um, that reminds me of this. So, and you said also in your bio, you mentioned um, that about the fact that um, what did you say? You said that um, that you're not working in the system anymore. You're building new systems, right? Mm-hmm. Which reminds me, of course, of Minister Fuller's you know yeah. quote about you never you never change things by fighting against the <laughs> existing reality. To change yeah. something, build a new model that makes the old model obsolete. Right. Right. right? And so, um, uh, so, but, and at the same time, so, so I, I would, I want to get your opinion on this. Okay. Because mm-hmm. as a movement builder, which you say you're a movement builder and a designer. So I learned back in the day when in, in activism in 101, that there were four different R's for transformation, right? The four mm-hmm. R's are there's resist, mm-hmm. which is the protests that are out in the streets. You're resisting the current system, the reform from the inside, like the entry entrepreneur, right? You reform. Um, Recreate is build a new model, build a new world. And then there's reimagine, which is where the mystics hang out and, you know, (laughs) all those people who can see way beyond where the rest of us are. Uh And so with that, um, and when I think about, then I'm thinking about what's happening right now. We are right now at a time when the Black Lives Matter movement Mm -hmm. is, I never thought I'd see it as broad-based in everybody's mouth as it is right now in America, in white America, 
and not obviously just black America. I mean, and not just America, the world. And so I think about that movement and a part of it is the young people after the the absolute tragic murder of of George Floyd um, resisting in the streets. Absolute resisting for weeks and weeks and weeks. So there was this resistance. And then this, I think of it as this reimagined, I mean, like defund the police. It's like, who would ever think that (laughs) we would get rid of the police? I mean, that's a real reimagination. And it's happening. Totally. Yeah. And it's happening. So I'm really interested in your thoughts around this, this combination of, of resisting, working in the system in any way, recreating, reimagining, do they work together? Is it? Is, I mean, Bucky Fuller says that it's one or the other, right. and it feels to me like they like it's kind of all of it. So I'd like to hear your totally, thoughts. Totally, yeah. I'm I'm so glad you brought this up. I, I feel like this is like this is at the crux of everything <laughs> right it. now, right? Yeah, this is it. Uh, and yeah, you know, I I have a lot of love for Bucky Fuller. I think he's like one of my you know influences and heroes in a lot of ways. Um, but I think he's wrong on this one. I actually do. Like, I, I it's a beautiful quote. But you do change things by fighting the existing reality. You totally do. Um, and, do. and that's the history of social movements, right? That's You've right. got to fight. That's right. Um, and yeah, like you said it so beautifully with the four R's. I, I haven't heard that framing before, but, you know, I, okay. I think uh, there are a lot of ways of framing different ways of um, changing things. And they're all valid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what, yeah. I, what I'm trying to focus on is the redesign piece and this is, this is part of the recreate piece, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of the recreate piece is right now um, very open-ended. It's like, l- let's abolish the police, <laughs> right? Let's let let's go abolish, the police. Right. <laughs> and so Minneapolis is like, oh, okay, all right. Okay, gonna, let's do gonna, it. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting here being like, well, okay, what does that mean? Like, what Like right. what comes next? Right. What's right. the... Right. And, um, and there are so many potential answers to that. That's a design problem, right? Um, there are right. just so many ways you could design that system. And I, I think there is um, sometimes within activist circles, there, there can be like a naive assumption mm. that the, the current system is broken because it was designed to be, it's not broken. It was designed to be oppressive yeah. and bad, totally. right? And if you throw, totally. throw that out and just put like the right people in charge of creating the new one, then it's going to be great. And I don't think that's necessarily true, right? That right, you, right. you can have a lot of uh, good intentioned folks that's at the right. table that's creating right. something that then creates the institution that is oppressive and, you know, bad in the long run. Um, not because it was designed that way, but because th- this is just the history of humanity right. in a lot of ways. Right. Right? Um, right. And so, you know, uh, I think with the police example, um, I think it's a really good question to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want people whose role it is to be protectors in our society, right? To, to, right, to be right. people who use some sort of force to, to constrain someone who's trying to hurt someone else, right? Um, right. And then in terms of prisons or jails, that's like a more long-term constraining. It's like, okay, this right. person that's uh, right. needs rehabilitation or restorative justice or whatever it is, but they can't be allowed to run amok, right? If Mm -hmm. they're, you know, intent on hurting people. Um, And so I think it's a really good question of, is is that a legitimate role for people to play? 
And then if so, what happens when you create an institution that mm-hmm. has more power um, mm-hmm. and more ability to use force against people? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how do you how do you prevent that from eventually turning bad or, or eventually right. uh, attracting over. the types yep. of people who would abuse that power? Right. Right. Um, That's right. And so when, you know, I'm, I would say it feels like there's an emerging um, movement, like I said in my bio, mm-hmm. of people who are becoming kind of society redesigners who are really deeply mm-hmm. thinking about these, mm-hmm. these issues. Why is it that our government is broken? Why is it that capitalism, you know, starts with one person exchanging goods with another person? Doesn't seem like anything is bad with that. And then the emergent system can be so destructive and terrible. And how do we redesign these systems so that we can, one, anticipate some of the like unintended consequences of those things. Right. But then also anticipate that we're not going to get it right at the start. Right. We're we're always going to have blind spots, you know, Mm -hmm. and the system is going to have to evolve. Mm -hmm. So how do we build in, you know, kind of uh, ways that that the system can adapt and evolve and change and and make it a living system? Right. Right. so I've been like doing some writing on this recently. And, and one of the pieces I've been writing about is the, is looking to natural systems mm-hmm. uh, as we design these human systems and some of the, mm-hmm. the really brilliant things that nature and the world, you know, the, yep. the living world has figured out. Right. And one of those things is death. One of those, uh, you know, innovations of life is mm-hmm. that something should not be able to persist forever uh, because right. that's how systems evolve and change. And, you know, within, right. the human, within the human body, when we have cells that they come and go, yeah, they, they come and go. Exactly. And when they Get don't a new liver, right, exactly. Right. And when, the, and then when there's some sort of, uh, mutation that happens that makes mm-hmm. cells want to live forever and start like hoarding resources, we call that cancer in the body, right? They call that's that cancer is deadly. Right? That's right. Yeah. And so um, when you look at a lot of our human systems, mm-hmm. they are not built with death built into no, their foundation. Right? It's, it's really rare yeah. that That's like right. a law is written with a sunset provision or that, uh, right. you know, corporate charters used to be for a set mm-hmm. period of time. It was a, you get mm-hmm. a 10 or 20 year corporate charter, you mm-hmm. build the bridge or whatever, and then you dissolve the corporation. And now right. we have these corporations that are outliving the people who are part yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're essentially like a cancer on the planet. So, so that's something I'm, you know, I'm doing a lot of thinking about is how do we Mm -hmm. in as a, as a kind of meta pattern, when we Mm -hmm. start designing these Mm -hmm. new systems, if we're going to design a new police force, put Mm -hmm. an expiration date on it, say, you know, this, this design is only going to last for the next five years. And then we have Mm -hmm. to re, we have to look at it again and redo it again, you know, um, Mm-hmm, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of what it's I'm thinking. very interesting yeah. so it's like yeah. build in the obsolescence its own demise and i think that that's really wise because as you know i mean as a buddhist we know i know of course that you know the whole law of impermanence and nothing is here forever and everything's going to change and everything is going to come and rise and and fall away and but yet we do design these systems as if as if you know they're just these 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 immovable and that's the other thing is that because the way we design them, people feel intimidated by it and feel like it can't change. Right. We right. design it in a way that allows people to feel, I think intentionally so, that this is bigger than you. You yeah. can't change it. And so therefore you become uh, a part of it and, and, and you up, and you, whether you want to or not, you're upholding a system that you don't even believe in because you don't feel like you could change it for one thing. Right. 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 
Right. Yeah, and it, it used to be that humans, if if we didn't like the circum the social circumstances we were in, we would move. And of course, right. th- this is also the history of colonialism, right? Because right. when we moved, sometimes we took the land from other people, right? And that's right. Um, that's right. Uh, yeah, what are you doing on my land? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So obviously we can't and wouldn't even want to do that at this point, right? right. Um, but right. but now there isn't a you know square inch of land that isn't owned by some corporation yeah. or nation or whatever. That's and right. so That's right. we're living in these systems that don't that feel anti, you know, yeah. anti-driving, anti-human. Um, and there's no and place it's not to working. go. There's no place. Yeah, there's no place to go. It's like I can't right. I, I can't just take my tribe and move over there and try something new. And so that's where the land piece comes in, right? Is that's, how do we how do we start carving out some little bubbles of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. experimentation and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, community mm-hmm. within the current system, mm-hmm. um, so that we can start trying new things, right? Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I love this conversation. It's really at the heart of what I think about a lot, and and it's because um, the systems are. They're built to work. When people say this is broken. They're not broken. They're right. built to do exactly what they're meant to do right. and to leave a lot of people out and to hurt a lot of people and to harm, to do harm, but mm-hmm. to do good for a small number of people. And, and, and the truth is that they're not even surviving it. They're not really thriving. It may seem like it because they've got right. a lot of goodies. You know, they got all the good stuff, right. the big bank accounts and the big this and the big that. But right. is that really what being human is all about? Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you bring this up around you know people, people with wealth or people in positions of power are not they're not thriving like you said uh, you know and and um, so in a lot of ways we can look at this like it's an us versus them story and and in a lot of ways if there is an us in them it's it's uh, not really left versus right right you know yeah. I, I, that a lot of the people on the right have just been duped in, you know, in yeah. some way. Uh, yeah. But it's really about those who hold power versus those power. who don't. It's all about power. Um, but even those who hold power are not very happy. They're not thriving. They'd no. be even more happy if they were living in community. And yeah. um, And so, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's just a really key piece to look at because I, you know, t- there are two questions I've, I've like, often ask myself Mm -hmm. uh, that are clarifying questions for like, am I doing the right thing in the world? Um, The first question is, um, imagine I had a a magic bank card. Uh, Every time I swiped it, no matter what, like there would just always be money, right? Um, In in the card, Um, which is not the case. You know, I I grew up in a lower middle-class family. I don't have any inheritance, you know? uh, I make okay money now as, you know, a designer. Um, but, uh, scarcity has always been a thing that's kind of loomed over me. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's a very clarifying thing to think about what would it feel like to just know that, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm never going to have to worry about paying rent or food or whatever. And what would I be doing, you know, uh, with that? Right. So that's question number one. Um, Mm -hmm. question number two is, what if I had a billion dollars? Like if mm-hmm. somebody said, you know, somebody just walked up to me and said, just, just table, fell in your lap. Here you go. Here's Here a billion go, dollars. Micah. Yeah. What would I spend it on? <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it's, 
it used to be a hypothetical question. It's becoming less and less of a hypothetical question, not because I'm a billionaire, right. but because I'm surrounded by people who right. have made that amounts yep. of wealth in you know the tech yep. industry. Yep. And they are starting to become aware yep. of yep. That's right. You know, that all That's these right. injustices and, and that, you know, their vision and values aligned in a lot of ways. And they're trying right. to figure out how to best steward that money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, they can just, they can donate it to nonprofits, right? Um, uh, they can, uh, yeah, they, they, they can do the philanthropy thing, but an increasing number of them are thinking about it as like, how do you, so, so the way that I'm framing it is, um, but one of the best things that you can spend money on is obsoleting money. It's it's like yeah. spend, spend money on creating go. systems right. that that need less and less money over time. Right, right, right. Um, and it, yeah. it's it's sort of it's the same. Uh, it's like the same wisdom around leadership, right? Like mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. best uh, the best use of leadership is to make mm-hmm. your own self obsolete, right? Empower people right. around you, create self governance right. mechanisms. Because right. if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, right, like, the, mm-hmm. and the organization falls apart as a result, that's not good. So you want right. to, you know, use that leadership to, yeah, uh, yeah make yourself obsolete. And I, I feel like the same is true with money. Um, yeah. And if I had a billion dollars, what I'd be doing is investing it in communities that can figure out how to take care of the people within that community with less and less reliance on money, right? Mm-hmm. With regenerative mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. that are growing food with the available sun and soil, right? right? And right. you don't right. need to exchange money for that. That's right. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not like so anti-capitalist that I don't, you know, I could see a role for something like money, uh, <laughs> you know, in the, in, in the long-term future, like to, you know, mm-hmm. to measure exchange rates or something between communities. But I think largely it, it feels like an aberration because yeah. if you just look at living systems, there is no transactions. In no, there's living. nothing like it. There's right. nothing like it. I, yeah. I love what you're saying. I mean, you are so at the heart. We got to we got to hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we really have to hang out. <laughs> let's do, I'm let's telling you. Yeah, let's make yeah. that happen, honestly, because, you know, this is the conversation I'm having all the time. And huh. I'm looking at money as this agreement that we've made. We've made this agreement around this thing and we've given it all this value. It has absolutely no value. Right no value other than what we have assigned it, right? And that we've agreed upon. So let's disagree. Yeah, yeah. What if we let go of that agreement? Now what do we have, right? Right. And so where does the value lie? Where would we put our value if we took it, if we we digressed and took our our value from money and put it somewhere else into living systems or whatever, what you're talking about? Um, That's, that's the conversation that I, I want to have. And I, too, you know, I, I don't want to um, also like, you know, the, the, the 99% and the 1%, you know. Yes, of course, it does exist. And those who have a lot of wealth are not bad people. There's a lot of really good people. Some of them, yes, absolutely. But there's a lot of really good people that I have in my life as well that I'm around that I have learned like, wow, you are amazing. And what you're doing is really incredible. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding as well, and maybe it's the Bay Area thing, but I hope it's beyond the Bay Area. And it seems like it is because I mean, people, you know, nationally who are wealth holders who are really looking at how to do this way differently. 
Yeah. And then uh, the other thing I find is that their next generation, like, you know, this is the biggest generation that's going to inherit more wealth than any generation right. in history. Right. And a lot of them, they don't want it. Mm-hmm. And so I've been dealing with parents whose kids say, I don't want it. I didn't earn it. I don't want it. And the parents are going, oh, my God. Right? <laughs> like, Wait a minute. This came yeah. all the way down from. And where did it come from? Where did it come from? I'll tell you where it came from. We call it racial capitalism. Because yeah. where did it come from? Totally. It came from the millions yeah. and millions and millions of free labor of African people in this yeah. country for over 200 years. It came from the theft and the genocide of the indigenous people. Yeah. All of it points back. Every single bit of it points back right. to that. And right. so when we look at this situation and, you know, we only... And, and particularly, and, and, and that's the one thing I want to talk to you about, Michael, because people like yourself who are on the cutting edge of these kinds of thought leadership and are, I don't know how old you are, but, you know, 36, I consider, yeah, 36 <laughs> yeah, young and millennial <laughs> type and really smart and white and male, you're mm-hmm. thinking about all these things and I don't know if you go all the way back and really back to yeah. To the beginning. Yeah. Because that is what we have to do. The things that I'm doing is taking people on a plantation in Louisiana. I'm taking wealthy people and other non-wealthy people really cross-class, cross-race, coming together on a plantation in Louisiana, talking about land, race, money, and spirit mm-hmm. and the roots of capitalism. And really looking at the truth of it. And that is what is necessary. We have to take it back because sometimes there's a tendency. I got to say, I love you people, but <laughs> I also find that there's times when you all stop before you get to, to genocide yeah. and slavery. Yeah. Totally. And you can't do that. You got to yeah. stop doing that. Tell me you're going to if you've been doing that, tell me you're going to stop. Or if anybody around you've been doing that, tell, yeah, them, yeah, tell yeah. me that yeah. you'll, you'll check them because they got to go back to that where it really all came from. It came from the millions and millions of hours mm-hmm. of free labor. Yeah. And there's, country. yeah. And there's, there's, there's no making that right. I mean, there, there's things we can do to repair. Right. Right. Um, right. But right. there, that is, a, that is a crime that is um, it's unconscionable. Um, it's yeah. absolutely unconscionable. Right. And um, yeah. I, so, you know, a bit about my, story and upbringing and all of that. So I, I was raised by conservatives. Um, you know, my, my parents are Trump voters. Where? And, Where were you? Uh, in, in Rhode Island. Uh, Rhode Island. Which, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it's a, it's a blue state, right? There's progressives there. Literally um, on my, on my uh, rural dirt road uh, that I lived on, there were Confederate flags. Um, wow. There was a lot of racism. Um, and I was, yeah, I was brought up you know, within a context of, I, I think it's, it's, um, in some ways it's a gift that I, I can understand where the other side comes from. I'm, I'm obviously not a conservative. <laughs> right, right, right. My life. Um, but you know, my, my parents, uh, you know, I was the first person in my entire extended family to go to college. It was kind of a fluke. I got accepted to college, but uh, my, you know, my family, family is, uh, extended family is pretty not well off. Um, you know, they come from, um, uh, you know, I hear about stories of like my 
mom and aunts and all of them in like this crowded house shitting in a bucket, you know, this kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and, um, and the story of, you know, poor white people working, you know, climbing yeah. their way up and how right. hard it is for them to be reached by, uh, language about privilege and reparations and all of that, because they're like, I, you know, I didn't do that. Right. You know, I, my, right. my, right. But I you was know, poor. Yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I, you know, that was my mindset growing up as well. You know, I, I listened mm-hmm. to all the conservative radio show hosts. I was mm-hmm. like, why, you know, why can't people pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Right. Stuff, why know? can't they just right. do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you learn, you, you, you know, you have to really be humble enough to listen and mm-hmm. not defensive. And so something I, you know, I try to work on is, uh, there's a, there's this great post going around talking about how white people need to be the um, the welcome party to the movement, right? That if mm-hmm. if me as a white person mm-hmm. is right. like shouting at someone and being like, you know, uh, <laughs> fuck you for not, you know, right, not right. acknowledging your privilege and all of that, it's just going to push them away and you know put, mm-hmm. push them into the hands of white supremacists and all, right. And all right. that, right? And it's completely understandable that people of color would be angry and would, you know. Uh, shout at somebody who's being ignorant and racist. And that's why it's like a, a good use of my privilege mm-hmm. to be more patient and to be more mm-hmm. understanding with someone like that. Mm-hmm. And I think I've, I've had mm-hmm. some really great conversations with friends mm-hmm. and acquaintances mm-hmm. who just didn't really get it until somebody took the time in the same way that I didn't get it until somebody took the time with me. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do that work uh, myself. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of other people are, um, but it's so important that, uh, you know, as we move toward um, just, you know, bring it back around to the land projects. Um, right, right. So many of, you know, uh, the land projects within my community are, you know, they're led by white, privileged, rich people who can buy the land and, right, and there's really great innovation work going on in these, you know, like uh, eco villages in Costa Rica. You know, they're figuring out new ways of, you know, right. Uh, That's right. living together and all of that. But it's also an experiment. In, I mean, it's an exercise in privilege and it's very, yeah. very white. And yeah. so yeah. Uh, for me, I, it's very important to me that if I'm going to, you know, start a land project and start working on, you know, ideally creating, you know, the seeds of a not of an anti-racist society, it's got to start anti-racist from the start. And you've got from to the start from right. the start. You can't you can't just have a bunch of white people who are also right. like, oh, well, you know, diversity is important to us. So let's bring <laughs> let's bring right. in people of color. Right. right to the right. thing that we are. Let's building. call Kanda and see if right. she'll come and hang out. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you get some of that. <laughs> oh, baby, I get it all the time. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's got to it's got to be founded and led by that's right. Um, that's right. By people of color, because I mean, it's it's just if you're really committed to building, you know, reimagining new systems, right? Yeah, you've got to have people in the room who have been, you know, who have who have bared the brunt of the systems that came before or else you're going to have blind spots all over the place. And you're going to rebuild the same thing, honestly. And, you know, I don't know if you know about, um, I'm going to point towards my dear friend, uh, um, uh, Namaka Agbo, who Mm -hmm. uh, restorative economics Mm -hmm. and just transition. And what she's, she's just killing it right now. She's here in Oakland 
and um, she's stewarding some some really interesting um, um, assets and resources as well. And what she's doing and how she's doing it is amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, but it, you know, at the basically, it, it it involves that those who are most impacted must be at the center. Right. Simple. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah. And it, it, so I, I'm at a place of trying to figure out how do I serve? Like, how do I, how do I serve? Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely, I've got a whole lot of privilege as, as a white man. And now I, you know, I happen to have some skills that are really valuable within, you yeah. know, within Silicon Valley. Yeah. And, um, and I have, you know, friends who have lots of money and all of these things. And mm-hmm. how do I, yeah, how do I hold all that privilege in a way right. that actually, um, right. serves, uh, rather than, you know, just yeah. perpetuates the same systems. And it's a very, it's a, it's, you know, why I want to get more involved with EB Prec. I want more recommendations of other organizations I can get involved in. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it's like when, you know, when you asked me to be on the podcast, there was, uh, there was a bit of hesitancy because like, I don't have like a thing to pitch right now. I really don't like, I, you know, like I don't have a project. I don't have, you know, I'm just doing a lot of listening right now um, and just really trying to, um, recognize what my skills and resources and all of these things are, and then listen to what really needs to to be done. And then also building the bridges, Mm -hmm. Um, between all the communities that need to be involved in this, right? Um, and I'm sure some project will emerge that I'll be able to say, like, I'm doing this, right? But it's like being part of a movement is sometimes yeah. about yeah. not exactly knowing what your role is in the movement yet. And that's, that's right. That's okay. right. And and leading from and, and, and stewarding from behind as well and being able to... Um, to know when to lead, know when to follow, all of that is important. And but your your thought leadership is, and your heart is so needed. Oh, yeah, for real. <laughs> and that's why you know I'm not looking for someone who has projects. That's not me. <laughs> you know me better than that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just needing to talk to real the real deal people who are thinking through and looking at. Um, a better world and that knowing that we can create it. If we, we've created this, we can uncreate it. Yeah. We could create something else. Yeah. And so, um, and it's necessary. It's so necessary. Right. And, and if people don't at this, I don't know when this is going to broadcast, but in this moment, you know, we're at a moment that people are waking up who have been not so woke and realizing, Oh, right. We really need transformation. Mm-hmm. We really need change. And um, and it takes a lot of being proactive mm-hmm. and really stepping into discomfort and being okay with that and listening, like you said. Listening is a big one. And, you know, ever since um, George Floyd was murdered, I, you know, a lot of people knocking on my door. Kind of, what do you think? Kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, can you, can you, can you? And I just stopped. I went into silence. Honestly, I did a a week long retreat right here in my house, um, and did a meditation retreat for for seven days with um, without talking to anybody and listening. and And that's where I still am right now. You know, I'm 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 just coming out of that a little bit. I, but by and large, 
I want to hear what people are saying and what's going on. And I'm forming my own thoughts and I'm pushing edges. And so that's why when, when, you know, when your email came across my, my inbox, I was like, Micah. Oh, <laughs> oh, Conda. <laughs> right? It was like, uh-huh. it's just time for us to dig in. And, yeah. and the fact that I have this podcast, I was like, okay, let's just do it. Or let's yeah. do it live. Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like we're all just figuring it out. And, you know, we yeah. haven't talked about COVID at all yet, right? Which no, we haven't. You know, when when our 10 year from now selves listen to this podcast, it's going to be a really key part of this moment. Right. Um, is oh, God. What's yeah. Going on. Oh, yeah. With, uh, with the pandemic. And I, you know, yeah. it's such a I'm, I'm curious what you're thinking about this. And uh, yeah, I have some questions for you. I'll, I'll say oh, that yeah. it's such a mixed bag for me and that obviously it's, you know, um, it's so devastating to see all of the the pain and death that's happening, particularly to communities of color and people who are our, quote, frontline workers, uh, AKA, you know, minimum wage. That's right. Uh, And yeah, I, you know, um, so it's so, it's so heartbreaking and so frustrating and fucking, sorry, uh, sorry. That's all right. (laughs) Yeah. Just, just uh, infuriating that, to, to look at how different countries have handled this and just to see how oh my God. Uh, completely lacking of care uh, we, we are as a country and what our government has done, right? And so it's so, it's so frustrating. It's so scary and heartbreaking. And then in some ways, it's catalyzing, right? In some ways, yeah. Yeah. this moment is... Yeah. Um, getting people to take a step back and look at yeah. what's really important and recognize that, um, oh yeah, when, it, you know, I thought I had security because I had money in the bank, but like if right. the supply chains break down and I can't get right. food from the grocery store, maybe that's not, you know, real security right. and, um, and uh, people spending more time with their kids and working from home and right. realizing they could have right. been working from home from the start. Yeah. And, you know, that's right. There's, there's a lot of things that are being catalyzed right now. And I'm, I'm uh, yeah, thinking a lot mm-hmm. about how we can leverage yeah. this, um, into whatever comes next. Right. And so I'm curious yeah. how, you're, how you're thinking about it. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts and it's interesting because I just gave a talk this morning um, uh, um, uh, an online um, conversation. It was church, actually, for Spirit Rock. And mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. on Sunday morning, this is a new thing that they have. And, and I talked about it. And, and honestly, what I see is like, you know, every system, um, a system can only go so far without getting feedback. Right. And, um, and so I see that we have been in this non-feedback space for way too long and 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 you know what happens when a system doesn't get feedback um and so i see the coronavirus as feedback it's it's the Mm -hmm. feedback that we finally have come has come knocking on the door right right it's like shine the mirror (laughs) yeah right yeah this is who you are humanity Mm -hmm. this is what you've been up to and this is what is happening and so all the weakest, most marginalized, yeah, are finally seeing that yeah. 
this is the system that you've created. Totally. This is the system you've created. And so I see this huge feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And in that feedback, I think, so when you don't get feedback within a system, what the future is not connected to the past because there's no seeing it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're just willy nilly going out there. But when you get feedback, I think that's when the, there's the possibility arises mm-hmm. that you can actually create a better future and present and future yeah. with feedback. So the upside and the silver lining is that glimpse of a better future. That is where the silver lining is, right? And yet the darkness is who we are and what we've created and the feedback we're getting. Really? Yeah. And so they're both I, existing at the same time. Mm-hmm. I imagine you're a fan of Octavia Butler. I love Octavia Butler. So good. <laughs> so good. I love um, Octavia Butler. Yeah. yeah um, no, she's just beyond. And I mean, it's so interesting. I've got to tell you, Octavia Butler's story is that yeah. the last thing I did... The last thing I did before I sequestered uh-huh. was my friend Toshi Regan, who I don't know if you know who Toshi Regan is. She's a musician out of D.C. Her mother is Bernice Regan, who started Sweet Honey in the Rock, the group Sweet Honey in the Rock. OK, anyway, Toshi's a badass. She took Parable of the Soul and turned it into an opera. What? And yes, and she's been she's been doing it all over the East Coast Uh in different places. It came to L.A. Mm -hmm. right at Royce Hall at UCLA. And it was right on the verge. It was like March 3rd or something like that. And I saw the tsunami coming of COVID. And I was like, I had tickets. My partner and I had tickets. It's like, are we going to go? Are we going to go? And I was like, I don't want to miss it. Went down. It was the very last thing I did. Oh, wow. To see Parable of the Sower. What? <laughs> okay. As a, an opera. Wow. And then come wow. back and sequester into this calamity. Yeah. Wow. The lived experience. It was crazy. Uh-huh. So that's the last thing I did before I, before wow. I sequestered. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I love her work. I brought her up because, uh, you know, uh, last year I reread the Parable series and, uh, you know, for better or worse, I've, I've always been kind of an apocalyptic thinker. Uh, my, my name, Micah, is, uh, it's, right. it's a, a book in the Bible that is both short and apocalyptic. Oh. Uh, and I am both short and apocalyptic, so it's <laughs> I, like stay true to my namesake. And you are, you really are both, <laughs> right? And uh, you know, for it's like for a long time, I've just been you know talking with friends about like well, how are we going to communicate if our right. you know the phone lines go down, if the internet goes down. I, right. I'm like I've right. I have these right. uh, mesh networking devices I've like pollinated throughout my community so that we can communicate when the grid collapses and all these things. Right. And, um, and some of that is informed by reading Octavia Butler, you know, cause she, she could see the, she could see the impending collapse of the systems. And what she also saw is that, um, when the systems collapse, um, the, those that are already marginalized are the first to, you know, yep. they're, they're the, the, yep. on the front lines of the That's wave right. of destruction right. that, that washes That's over, right. you know? And so this is yeah. why I've, you know, I've never really been able to get down with like 
tear down the system, right? Um, and I totally, right. I totally respect. Like we were talking about before with the three, the four R's. Everybody's got a yeah. role, uh, but I have friends right. who are just all about let's let's tear it tear it all down, you know. And if you don't have the thing that comes next, right. what happens? You know what right. happens when it gets right. torn down? Who you know? Exactly. And and I think, think COVID <laughs> is just COVID is like a little you know, a little mm-hmm. example of this where even mm-hmm. just, you know, mm-hmm. the, the economic collapse we're seeing right mm-hmm. now and, and the pandemic itself yeah. is it's yeah. not hurting rich people, right? It's hurting. Yeah. It's yeah. It, right. And so we've, no. we've yeah. really got to think, right. I think, larger than yeah. uh, tearing down the system. We've got to think about like what, what really yeah. comes next? What is the new thing? Well, you know, when I think about um, one of the things that I feel is the, the unifier um, that I feel like I'm seeing on the planet right now. And because, first of all, okay, so we got to talk about the sequence of COVID and then and then um, George Floyd's murder. Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't think George, George, George Floyd's murder would have had the impact on the planet it had if it had not been for COVID. Totally. Okay. Because another totally. black man killed by a white cop, right? right? Um. And I don't mean that cavalierly, but yeah. that is the truth. Right. And, but because of COVID, we were all a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more quiet, a little bit more like watching each other. The world was connected. We were aware of life and the sanctity of life. We were honoring those people who were saving lives. We were clapping and, and celebrating people saving lives. Right. And then this cop came and took this black man's life. Right. Like just murdered him in the streets. Yeah. And everybody was quiet and still enough and had enough sensitivity to say, what? Mm-hmm. Right. The two came together as this perfect storm. Yeah. And what yeah. I feel that I'm seeing is planetary grief mm-hmm. people are grieving mm-hmm. they're grieving mm-hmm. and I think that it's through that grief where our, our liberation is somehow tied yeah. is through that grief because it brings us back to this sense of of interconnectedness that is just human this grief is so deep mm-hmm. and it's my hope you know, because as you're on the apocalyptic side, <laughs> I am like on the, you know, why can't we all just get alongside? Totally. And, and <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, it is my hope, honestly, that, that this grief that we are all sharing for different ways and different reasons, that it will unite us to go through it and come out on the other side with something different. Yeah. That's my hope. It's the only way through. It's it's really the only way through. You've got to let it go. Yeah. And that's what grief is. It's the painful letting go. It's the painful letting go. Right. Um, it's painful. It's and, very painful. And really facing the pain that you um, were too busy or too strong to feel at the time. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And I feel, uh, I feel that's what COVID has done as well, is that... 
It has. We're all so busy all the time, right? We're running yeah. around. It's like it I slow the whole world down. Right. And we can actually feel how yeah. wrong that all right. of it is. Right? All of it. All of it. <laughs> yeah. All of it. And then, like you said, people are home with their children instead of out doing. And it's like, oh, this is what I should be doing. This is real life. Right. You know, those videos are showing people all the cities throughout Europe and all the cities that are empty. Right. I mean, wow. Yeah. And remembering what we really miss as well. Right. Like, right. I, don't, I don't miss Target. I don't I miss. I, <laughs> right. What I miss is what I miss is a nope. hug from a close friend. I miss friend, a hug. Right. I'm like, I do miss hugs. Yeah. <laughs> I do miss hugs. It's clarifying. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, what's important, y'all? Uh-huh. What's important? What is it? What does it all boil down to, really? Right. What is this life all about? And um, so it's like this, like our sensories have been dulled and 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 now it's like, oh, with my eyes closed, if I walked around with my eyes closed all the time, you know, would this fancy iPhone 11 be important to me? <laughs> right. You know, I don't uh-huh. think so. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's only, it's only important to me to the degree that it allows me to talk with you. I mean, I'm not, that's right. I'm not, right? That's right. <laughs> that's me. It, right. Exactly. It's utilitarian. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that this happened at a time when we have like Zoom and yeah. all this technology that, yeah. I mean, had this COVID happened, you know, I don't know what, 20 years ago. It's like, what would we... <laughs> yeah, totally. How would we even deal right. with it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And everybody's, you know, hating on Zoom. Oh, I don't want to Zoom. Zoom. I'm like, I'm so grateful for Zoom. Mm-hmm. It has really brought... And I'm, I've had great parties and gatherings and huh. all kinds of fun. You know, I'm grateful for it. And this time that I have with you, I mean, yeah. right? We wouldn't have been able to see each other. And this has just been lovely. Oh, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Oh, I know. And it's coming, oh, to heart. A close. <laughs> it, it, it's coming to a close. And I just want to say, Micah, how, um, how beautiful this has been for me. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life. And mm-hmm. let's... um. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Let's yeah. keep talking and, and um, you know, bring me into your thoughts and your world and I'll bring you into mine. And, mm-hmm. and um, see Yeah, and I want to know more about what you're working on. We still need yeah. to talk about Jubilee Justice. got to talk about me. Yeah, yeah. Jubilee yeah, Justice. Yeah, we got to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay, we'll definitely do that. So we'll, we'll do another Zoom call. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Is there right. any last thing you want to say that's on your mind? Hmm. I also noticed sure. you said that you the collective agency is coming back. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, maybe under a different name. Uh, I love that name. It, it, is, it is a good name. Uh, others, have, others have picked it up and run with it since I kind of oh, put it on hold. And so I, I may need to, you have to, to rebrand it. it. Um, All but, right. All right. Yeah, so yeah, I can I guess I can uh just briefly talk about that. Um so the collective agency the the vision was a yeah. sort of decentralized creative agency of independent creative people mm-hmm. who are helping uh 
other people to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the same way that we did with Impact yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's an increasing number of people, you know, my friends who are going independent. They're, you know, they don't want to be part of a large organization anymore. They want to do the kind right. of work that I've been doing. Uh, with clients, but it's, it can be lonely. And uh, so if we can support each other and create a network of uh, people who are, uh, yeah, mutually supporting each other, but not, you know, not being coerced into work. That's the key piece for me is that you join a creative agency, the creative director tells you what to work on. Right. Right. And, and because they have all this overhead and I right. got to pay all the salaries and all that. It means yeah. you're working yeah. for these big corporations. And then now yeah. you're employed, you're essentially just an arm of Google or something. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you have any audience members out there who are creative people, you know, uh, mm. designers, filmmakers, writers, mm-hmm. strategists, um, mm-hmm. and are either thinking about going independent um, and, or are independent and are, are, right. and are kind of lonely and struggling and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to be in touch. Um, great. Great. because great. yeah, I think we can support each other. And then ultimately the, the end goal is we liberate all of our agency, right? Like right. everybody has more agency to do right. the things that we would naturally just the, the right. gifts that naturally want to come through us. Um, as creative people. So that's, that's that's fantastic. So can we give people your email at the end of this? Uh, we sure can. Yeah, we can. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Should I give it that's now? You can do it right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's hi, hi, H I at Micah Daigle, M I C A H D A I G L E.com. Um, and we'll have a, a new collective agency site up soon or whatever we decide to call it. Uh, great. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, I'm excited. And um, I love the collective agency. As a matter of fact, quickly, your website, that website that you had, Mm -hmm. um, has had the most influence on me of what I want as a website. You were the first person that I saw, you know, the bold letters. You had really big and Uh I fell in love with that. And I have always wanted that. And I am doing a website and Jubilee Justice is going to... um, have that kind of look because that's what I've always wanted. Cool, cool. Well, yeah, definitely let me know if you know uh, creatives who want to work with us and also if you know cool. people who are looking for creative work. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got some really great people uh, I'm working with who are amazing designers, better designers than me. Uh, I've, I've shifted more into like story and strategy and stuff. So Right. Yeah. Well, you're good at all of it and I'm really excited about it. So I will definitely, so people will hear that and, and on my own, I will... Um, I'm thinking about throwing some, some people your way. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, All right. Cool. But I'm right. gonna, we're going to like just come to a, a ending with, with this incredible conversation. Micah, thank you for, for joining. And um, just keep on keeping on, man. I love yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Thank, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. Can't, wait. Yeah. Can't wait for more. All right. Yeah. We'll see each other soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.